Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, everybody. Welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass on YouTube. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. It's Super Bowl week, but a lot of news coming out today for the Patriots not about the Bengals, not about uh, the Los Angeles Rams necessarily, Alex. And we're going to preview the Super Bowl on Thursday with our pal Trags, who's in Los Angeles. So if you want Super Bowl coverage, go ahead and follow Trags for all of your Super Bowl 56, I believe it is, right? Yep, 56 yeah. coverage uh, out there in L.A. But we're going to start today, and I'm sure a lot of people are watching us in the B's and the C's. So we appreciate you guys joining us on a Tuesday night a little bit later than usual. We start with the news of the day, and that is that the Patriots not only have brought Joe Judge home to the coaching staff, they have, one, announced the hire, which I actually don't think is insignificant because for the most part when the Patriots make these coaching moves, for example, last year with Matt Patricia, Alex, there was never an announcement. We kind of showed up, there was reports of it. Then we showed up at training camp and he was in the media guide as a, whatever his official title is, uh, liaison, consultant, assistant to the head coach, I think is technically uh, the title for Patricia. This one was formally announced by the team, released by the team's Twitter account, blasted to the media, and Joe Judge is officially an offensive assistant for the Patriots. So now the question is, what does that mean? How much involvement is he going to have in the respect of him essentially being an offensive coordinator or a de facto offensive coordinator? But first, Alex, your reaction to Joe Judge coming back home to New England? Yeah, um, I don't hate it in a bubble. I think he's somebody to have good to have in the building. We talked about him potentially, you know, taking over some sort of a special teams role after special teams weren't ideal this year. I just, I still don't buy him. Forget offensive coordinator. I still don't buy him as an offensive coach. I yeah. still don't. Before he got into special teams, when he began his career, before he's with the Patriots, he started off as a linebackers coach. He was a special teams coach before coming to England, was a special teams coach in New England. They threw that wide receiver coach title at him, but that was in 2019. How'd the wide receiver development go in 2019? I don't buy it. Like, again, I think he's a good voice to have in the building. I think he's a good brain to have in the building. And they look, they don't always have coaches stick to their role. When Troy Brown was officially the running backs coach, he was with receivers a lot. So I'm assuming what they're telling us versus what he's actually going to do are two different things. Um, but that that's how I feel. That's how I feel about it. That's a fair read on it. And certainly Daniel Jones under Joe judge over the last two years 
was a disaster in New York. The 31st ranked offense in the two seasons that Judge was the head coach with the Giants to the point where they bring in Brian Dable as the head coach. They hire Mike Kafka as the quarterback's coach, and they've basically done everything under the sun now in New York to make the quarterback possible, right, to to make the quarterback good because of how bad things were for Daniel Jones under Joe Judge. So I totally understand everybody's reservations with this. Now, talking to people, putting things together here today, it does sound like Judge is going to have some OC responsibilities. I'm not ready to go as far as saying that he's going to be the play caller, but I do think that he's going to have some responsibilities in the direction of the offense in general, the game planning week to week, and have a hand in a lot of the big decision-making processes of the offense during the season. He is not here to be a Matt Patricia. He is not here to advise Bill Belichick and to walk around and chat on the side with players and pull guys aside and give his two cents when it's asked. He is here to be a coach and to be hands-on and to be involved on the offensive side of the ball. Now, my sense is, is that this is not the only move that's coming for the Patriots on offense, but I don't think that there's going to be another big shoe to drop. I, the next shoe that does drop is going to be a size nine, not a size 16, right? I I don't think we're going to get into one of those big name coordinator hires. I'll talk about it in a second. Why not Bill O'Brien? And I have some theories as to why maybe Bill O'Brien isn't coming here to new England, but the way that I am putting it together now with this hire with Joe judge, and we were just talking about this before we hit record is that the Patriots are trying to build offensively what they have on the defensive side of the ball where Joe judge is essentially Gerard Mayo, right? He has a pretty big say in game planning. He leads meetings. He has a lot of discussions involved in terms of the stylistic approach on that side of the football, but maybe isn't the primary play caller. The primary play caller is still yet to be seen. It could be Mick Lombardi. His name has come up a lot and he has really, garnered a lot of attention in recent weeks, I would say more so than when we first started talking about this uh, when Josh McDaniels left for the Raiders last couple of days, last week or so, Mick Lombardi's name has begun to surface a lot more as somebody that they're high on internally and that could take on more responsibility. So maybe they feel Mick Lombardi could be somebody that takes on those play calling duties. I still am not sleeping on Adam Gase potentially being on this staff come training camp. And maybe they get into a situation where Judge and Adam Gase are essentially co-offensive coordinators, but neither guy has the title. It could be that way with Mick Lombardi, too, or an internal candidate as well. So I'm not totally sold that Joe Judge is going to be the play caller, but I'm pretty uh, certain that he's going to have a pretty – big say in a lot of the game planning and a lot of the hands-on stuff that has to go on behind the scenes on the coaching staff. Yeah. And that's concerning to me. This is where I'm more so concerned. Like I said, I don't necessarily mind Joe judge as an individual being in the building. What I'm more concerned about is what what happened on defense happening on offense, because the defensive side of the ball has a lot more talent than the offensive side of the ball. And look, who knows what it'll look like after the off season, but The defense, you know, in spite of everything that happened with the coaching staff, was still a second-ranked defense in the league. What does the offense look like if wires get crossed? The other thing is, on 
defense, you have guys like Devin McCourty, like Dante Hightower, who have been around, who know what they're doing, who are essentially like coaches on the field. The most important long-term storyline for this team is Mac Jones development. And now you're going to make that unclear. So I think the one with the one thing they absolutely have to do, if they're going to go with this convoluted, you know, flow chart on offense, which I don't think they should do, but if they're going to do that, the one thing they absolutely have to do is have a defined quarterbacks coach. That role was split last year between Josh McDaniels and Bo Hardigree. I don't necessarily think splitting it between those two guys specifically was a bad idea. I think it it obviously worked. Mac was good last year. I think you need a dedicated quarterbacks coach who is not named Adam Gase on the staff. I think that is now, if they're going to do, like short of bringing in Bill O'Brien as a defined offense coordinator, finding a dedicated and incompetent quarterbacks coach to work with Mac is now priority one for the staff this for the rest of the offseason. I think that has to be the next step. It's a horrible setup for Mac Jones. There, there's no other way to put it. I think the thought process has wow. always been for Bill Belichick. Do we have breaking news? Is that why you're it's not, yeah, it's not uh Patriots, but it's significant. Oh, okay. Well, you can you can share it if you want. So, I mean it, Fluto Shinzawa just now on the athletic. Bruins don't expect to Rask to continue comeback attempt per sources. Oh, wow. So Tuka wow. Rask, I mean, is that so it, I it doesn't use that... the word retire, but Tom Brady didn't use the word retire either. So so Tuka's done. I, I think Jess is gonna be heartbroken when I tell her if she doesn't know that's already. A, uh, I mean he's the greatest goalie in the history of the franchise. That's that's a big one. Anyway, sorry. I know it's not go go okay. find the Evans. The Evans will talk. Oh no. You know, it's Evan and Connor. Evans are you and him. Yes. Evan, Evan Marinovsky, Connor Ryan. I'm sure they'll talk about it, but that, that's kind of a big one in terms of Boston sports. That's a big one. Very big. I want to take a second to shout out our official sponsor at betonline.ag. The big game is finally here as we hit Super Sunday with the last game of the football season. And BetOnline has you covered from odds, scores, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business from sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet online is your number one online wagering destination. Head to bet online today or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get you started. The fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. Bet online where the game starts. Let's bring it back to Patriots. Let's, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. And talking about Mac Jones' development here, I think is really the biggest thing. When Josh McDaniels took the Raiders job, I think the outcry, and maybe this was just, on our show, in our comment section, and my Twitter replies, was that this could ultimately be a blessing in disguise because they could get some fresh perspectives, they could get some new ideas, they could get some more innovation going on offense and get some more ad- adaptation, right, in terms of just college game stuff, RPOs, spread elements, things that we've talked about on the show. I think what we're learning here quickly is that the grass is not always greener on the other side. And the one thing that you can definitely say about Josh McDaniels 
and his ability to mentor and bring along Mac Jones last season was an absolute home run from start to finish. Sure, you can nitpick the fact that McDaniels hands the ball off to Brandon Bolden on third and short or has a weird play calling sequence in the red zone or was too conservative here or too conservative there. But his ability to develop Mac from the day that Mac Jones got in the building to the end of his rookie season was fantastic. He was fantastic at it. And at this point, I have real major concerns out of anything else that has to do with this because I, the other point I wanted to make was I think the biggest thing when it comes to both sides of the football for Bill Belichick is that he's trying to build a program where they're running the same system, the same playbook, regardless of who the coordinator is and regardless of who is calling the plays year in and year out so that there's continuity across the board. So that when you lose a Josh McDaniels, all you have to do is elevate a Mick Lombardi or bring back a Joe judge and you start running the same program, right? You start running the same playbook that you were running before and nobody ever skips a beat. But now they're in a situation with a young quarterback that needs grooming, that needs mentorship, that needs guidance. And this isn't just as simple as who's going to be calling the plays on Sundays. Uh, this has to go in, in practice, in film session, in review, in all the little details behind the scenes. Now, the one little bit of saving grace that I have about this for Mac is if there's one guy, ironically, that isn't actually technically on the roster as of right now, but I think will be that I might actually trust to bring Mac along. It's Brian Hoyer. And this formula for a lot of other teams and a lot of other OCs around the league from Kevin O'Connell to Kellen Moore, to all these quarterbacks, ex backup quarterbacks, turn play callers, turn offensive coordinators out. This has worked in the past and this continues to work around the league. So although Brian Hoyer is not going to officially be a coach, he's going to be brought back in the building to be a coach. He's not, he's getting paid like a player. He's going to wear a Jersey, but he's out there on the practice field to coach Mac Jones. So maybe they do feel like in a way that Brian Hoyer is enough guidance in that sort of respect that they feel like Mac is in decent hands. But in terms of having this be convoluted between who's actually in charge, who's running the ship, who's in Mac Jones's ear, do we trust the people that they're putting in Mac Jones's ear? Uh, This is not a good situation moving forward for the quarterback. And I I hope that there is something that they know that we don't about the situation. And maybe it is that Joe Judge is actually a lot smarter and brighter and better than we're giving him credit for. But ultimately, I have a tough time getting there as well. Joe Judge, was it 19 that he was the wide receivers coach? I want to make sure I get yeah, this right. 19 was the I wide receivers. And okay. You do have to mention that he was also the special teams coach. I know, but who? I'm just who saying was the it was wide a wide receiver who he was tasked with developing in 2019. Yeah, there was a lot of responsibility on his plate, though, is my There point. was. That's fair. Well, yeah. it sounds, I just, I don't want him to be the quarterback's coach. I don't think he needs to be the quarterback's coach. And I don't know who it's going to be. It shouldn't right. be him. It shouldn't be Adam Gase. It should not be. I know you're going to keep saying it and say it's possible. If it's Adam Gase, it's a mistake. Adam Gase, as an offensive coordinator for a high school team, went four and five, and his quarterback had a negative touchdown to interception ratio. And look, Mac Jones is a hell of a lot more talented. No offense to the quarterback at Lincoln High School in Yisplanty, Michigan. Mac Jones is a hell of a lot more talented than that kid. But it's it's right. level playing field. The, the opponents aren't as talented either, all of that. 
You're telling me this great NFL mind, the quarterback whisperer, as his nickname once was, couldn't figure out a way to get a high school kid a positive touchdown interception ratio? No, I don't like Adam Gaze either. The name that I keep on hearing is Mick Lombardi. And and maybe that's the way that they go about it is that they promote one guy from within or they give one guy internally a little bit more responsibility and they give Judge an overseer type of role as well. He's the adult in the room. I'm not necessarily – I'm not talking about even play caller, though. I'm talking about, like, whoever's going to call plays is going to call plays at this point. If it's not Bill O'Brien, it's going to be somebody who either hasn't done it or doesn't have a lot of experience doing it. I'm already past that. To me, it's – well, who's the quarterback's coach? Who is in the meeting rooms with Mac? Yeah. Who is watching Mac and solely Mac on the field at practice, working on his mechanics, things like that. Like that to me is now the most important job. That can't be by committee. That can't be Joe Judge on Tuesday, Mick Lombardi on Wednesday, Nick Cayley right. on Thursday, Matt Patricia on Friday, right? That's got to be somebody. And maybe it's Hoyer. Maybe it is. But Hoyer's also, you know, for all we talk about, Hoyer's a great coach. He still wants to be ready in case he gets a chance to play. He's still doing yeah. his own thing to an extent. I want somebody just working with Mac Jones. I want to know who that is, and, and it, it needs to be somebody who knows what they're doing, and it needs to be the same person every day. Yeah, and before we move to Bill O'Brien, because I have some thoughts on that as well, Mick Lombardi did coach quarterbacks at one point. They moved him over to wide receivers a couple years ago. He did coach quarterbacks for the Patriots, I want to say, in 18 or 19. Granted, it was Tom Brady who he was coaching. He was the assistant quarterbacks coach in 19. Yes. So he did coach quarterbacks at one point. So this shuffling technically could be as easy as Troy Brown getting full-time at wide receivers, right? And him becoming the full-time wide receivers coach, Mick Lombardi technically being the quarterback's coach, and Joe Judge remaining as an offensive assistant as the bigger picture guy in the room. Or even Joe Judge, who was a wide receivers coach, you know, becoming the other wide receivers receivers receivers. coach, right? Right. And then moving Mick Lombardi to quarterbacks. I, I, I didn't realize Mick Lombardi had that role in 19, so... Yes. He's not the worst option. Again, I still think Bill O'Brien was the best option. Um, Yeah. So we can talk about Bill O'Brien. So uh, this is interesting to me because when they fired or fired, when Josh McDaniels took the job with the Raiders, they had a conversation with Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien's reps. It was put out there, Ian Rappaport reporting about it, Adam Schefter, the big guns coming in and saying there was mutual interest between the two parties. So, At this point, I think it would be pretty uh, far-fetched for Bill O'Brien to be the offensive coordinator for the Patriots. I'm not saying it's impossible, but my odds of it happening have dropped significantly from 50-50 to probably 10-15% chance that Bill O'Brien's on this staff next year. So I want to discuss a couple of the reasons or a couple of the theories that I have of why no Billy O, right? Why is Bill O'Brien not coming here? So I think the two biggest things that I can come up with are number one, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban have had an understanding that unless it's mutually beneficial, unless that's really what the coach wants, they're not going to poach from each other's staffs, right? They're not going to go in and they're not going to just take guys from each other's staffs unless it's mutually agreed upon, unless the other guy has a, a good, a insurance policy a good fallback plan a good plan b and maybe nick saban doesn't want to give up bill o'brien 
right? The other theory that I have is that I think Bill O'Brien, differently from a guy like Joe Judge, is going to want a lot of autonomy with the offense. He's going to want a lot of control. I actually would go as far to say is that he might actually want a seat at the table with decision-making in terms of personnel. Right. Who are they drafting? Who, who are they signing in free agency? How am I going to use that player? So this isn't as simple as we're just going to make you the play caller. I think Bill O'Brien was going to want a seat at the table. Right. And right. Similarly to what they gave to Josh McDaniels. So maybe Bill Belichick wasn't prepared to offer him that. Thirdly, you have to talk about pay. Right. Because I'm sure Alabama is paying him a decent amount of money to be the OC down there. And you also have to talk about is the job here in New England that much better for Bill O'Brien than going back to Alabama and coaching the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and putting up another great season of offense? I know they got some guys leaving in the draft, but Alabama is a factory. They're definitely going to have more guys coming up that he's going to be able to work with. I'm they sure still have Bryce Young. They still have Will Anderson. They'll be right. Fine. They still got Bryce Young at quarterback. So is it that attractive for Bill O'Brien to jump ship at this point and leave Alabama where he knows he's probably going to look good, right? He he, right. he knows he's probably going to look pretty darn good. And whether it's Steve Sarkeesian or Lane Kiffin, it's very, very plausible that Bill O'Brien could be a head coach just by being the Alabama offensive coordinator for a couple of years, then jumping to a college program or even back to the NFL as a head coach, if he does a good job there. So End of point is that the Patriots need Bill O'Brien a whole lot more than Bill O'Brien needs the Patriots. And so in order to get him here, I think they really needed to heavily pitch him and incentivize him on the idea of coming. And maybe they just couldn't really bridge that gap. Yeah, I I think the interesting thing you bring up there is some of the control maybe Bill O'Brien would want. What would the offense look like schematically? What would some of the personnel decisions be? Right. Because that's, that's part of the reason... In, in the, at the same time, maybe that's part of the reason he won't come here because he won't get that say. At the same time, isn't that kind of what made him the perfect candidate? Was introducing some of those RPOs, some of those more spread concepts. So I don't really, I don't mean this as a take. I'm posing this question to you. I'm curious what you think about it. Is this an indication if things hold the way they do, or at least you know no more major moves, that the offense is more or less going to look like what it did last year under Josh McDaniels? Hundred ten percent. I think that this playbook was never going to change fundamentally into anything else than what it currently is. Sure. Some, another guy might as calling plays might have a different sequence um, of plays that he strings together. Maybe another guy has a different game plan for a certain opponent, but I go back to a quote that Bill Belichick had years ago where he talked about how he wanted to keep the X's and O's the same. So that way, when he loses coordinators, when he loses assistants, even when he loses players, right? Even when he moves right. on from certain players, it's plug and play and the machine keeps moving and the belt keeps going. And I think when they look at the offensive side of the football, that's what they feel like they're going to have by giving more responsibility to some of the in-house guys, by bringing Joe Judge back, they don't need to necessarily reinvent the wheel with the offensive playbook. And I think that that's always been the goal. And yeah, it would be great to install certain things, right? It'd be great to install an RPO package. They did run a little bit of RPO in New York with Daniel Jones. It's not something that they were at the top of the league in doing, but they definitely did it more with the Giants and the Patriots did with Mac Jones last year. They also ran a quarterback sneak on third and nine back to back. Oh, I'm not trying to say that he's a good coach (laughs) on that side of the ball. I'm just saying 
that, uh, you know, that's a reality, right? Daniel Jones did run some RPO, some option. Yeah. He's a better athlete in terms of running around than people give him credit for and his ability to move the chains with his legs. So they did do some of that. I have always stood by and I a hundred percent still stand by because I get these two questions all the time. I get people that ask me, are they going to go more like Buffalo and Kansas city, right? Are they going to be spread? Are they going to run RPOs? Are they going to be college meets NFL spread system? I also get the questions of why aren't they more like San Francisco or Los Angeles with the Rams? Why aren't they running wide zone? Why aren't they running motion and misdirection, condensed formations and three wide receiver or 21 personnel like the 49ers do? They are not going to change fundamentally who they are. They are not going to change the roots of their playbook. They are not going to change the system. They are going to keep the system the same and then they're going to adapt and integrate around that. But this goes back to Charlie Weiss. Uh, the Earnhardt Perkins verbiage actually goes back to even before Bill Belichick was here. Right. And this goes back years and years and years into the 80s. But in terms of the actual stylistic values of the playbook, the foundational elements, the gap run schemes, uh, pulling guards, power schemes, fullback leads, uh, play action off of those things, using shifts instead of using motion, uh, using uh, multiple personnel groupings. Those things were always going to stay. And that was that's just the Patriot way. And that's how it's going to be. I was hoping that they were going to at least add some things in and add some new wrinkles into that sort of thing. But fundamentally, they were never going to change the playbook. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I guess he answered my question. I'm just that's I, I don't imagine Joe Judge installing new concepts. I don't right. think he's that guy. And if it is Mick Lombardi – who's the default OC or Nick Cayley. I mean, they were here last year. We know what their offense is. So right. I think this is a sign that the offense is going to look very similar, at least strategically. Now, look, maybe with upgraded players, it, it works better. It should work better. Uh, yeah. But, you know, in terms of the system, in terms of the X's and O's, the offense is going to look very similar in 2022 than it did in 2021. Yeah, and I think that's honestly the goal. I think they're in their mind. That's the best thing in the best path forward is to keep everything the same. And I think honestly, the goal is to continue with the most continuity as they possibly can. And talking about it like this and talking about Joe judge, having all this responsibility on the offense and the fact that the tea leaves now are kind of turning that bill O'Brien is probably not going to be here next year. It's disappointing. It's, it's worrisome it is a little bit scary that they're going to have this approach on the offensive side of the ball. And all we can do is wait and see. And in my opinion, you can't kill it until it fails. Right. I mean, once it fails, then we can come out here and call it a spade a spade, but until it fails, we can't kill it. And I think one important thing as we wrap this up and start the Q and a portion, that's important to remember if Joe judge ends up being the play caller, if Mick Lombardi ends up being the play caller, whoever it ends up being, Everybody had no experience until they had experience, right? Whether it's Bill Belichick, whether it's Josh McDaniels, uh, whether it's Romeo Cornell or Gerard Mayo or uh, Brian Flores or Matt Patricia, everybody once was a position coach. They once were an assistant. They once had zero play calling responsibilities. And then all of a sudden they were given that by earning it. And the rest is history. So everyone started somewhere. Bill started on special teams, right? He was the right. coordinator and turns into the greatest defensive coach of all time. So everybody 
starts somewhere. And maybe you just need to give somebody a chance. And it could work out as easily as it could not, honestly. The one thing I'd say is, you know, Gerard, Steve, remember the Patriots used in the preseason, even when I think Matt Patricia was their last defined defensive coordinator, right? Um, but in the preseason, when Matt Patricia was D.C., Brian Flores would get to call plays in the preseason. Yeah. Gerard Mayo would get to call plays in the preseason. Steve did. I don't know that that was the case on the offensive side of the ball. These guys might have, outside of Judge, no, like not even preseason experience. So, you right. know, you're right. You, you don't, you haven't done it until you've done it. Right. And it's, it, you know, it's going to be an interesting storyline to follow in the preseason. And obviously teams don't call their, their full playbook in the preseason, but it's, it's something to watch. The funniest thing about the preseason last year was that Giants preseason game might've been the best game plan the Patriots had all year. <laughs> they, they, they they ran yeah. they ran multiple RPOs they ran a lot of Haas they ran a lot of their stuff but they ran a lot of new stuff too that I thought was going to be in that playbook all year long and then week one came around and it all just disappeared well right? they were throwing Isaiah Zuber and Christian Wilkerson those guys aren't yeah. on the roster you can't run their reps yeah. so the, yeah, other, no. the two games well, well, where look, they maybe had... maybe Lombardi right. was calling plays in that game who knows? you know who knows so there you go right the two best games that they had from a offensive standpoint, you know, all jokes aside about the preseason yeah. was that game in week seven against the jets, right? They scored 50 points on the jets yeah. and they had John Smith involved in the first half before he got hurt. And they really, even though it was the jets, I get that in terms of the actual sequencing and the plays that were actually being relayed and being called, that was the best utilization of the personnel that they had on offense all year. So if they can get back to that, script and that game plan offensively then i think they'll be fine and if they can identify that i think they'll be fine too and i also think you talked about quarterbacks coaches and who's in max ear and all that kind of stuff maybe bill thinks he's gonna have a more hands-on approach with matt and we always knew that bill had a big hands-on approach with the quarterback to begin with you know he was always in the quarterback's ear he had those tuesday meetings with tom brady maybe that is the plan. Part of the plan too is is not necessarily Bill Belichick calling plays on offense or anything like that, but him just having a more hands-on approach with Mac Jones and the ins and outs of Mac Jones's progression uh, in year two. Well, let's get to some questions. Well, so there, there's a really interesting question in there, and it kind of it's a good transition here. Yes. Um, Court P. If you go back a little bit, could there be a camp battle for the offensive coordinator position? That's That'd an interesting one. I. I wouldn't put it past Bill. I wouldn't put it past Bill. I could see that we wouldn't know. We wouldn't know. They wouldn't talk about it. It wouldn't be public. But I could see them doing that. I could actually absolutely see them doing that. So maybe, especially I would also say in the preseason games, right? Or if you have joint practices where you're actually calling plays against the defense, maybe some games it's a Mick Lombardi game, some games it's Joe Judge games, a game, some maybe Nick Kaley gets a game, right? And you you split it up between those three guys and see who kind of handles the responsibilities the best. The unfortunate thing is, is that that won't go out we won't be able to necessarily tell like we can go and watch the camp battles at a position group and, and watch that right. in and out of that. We'll have to really do our, our best sort of uh, investigative work thing. To, to try to figure <laughs> out who the heck is, is actually calling the plays on a given drive or in a given game or whatever. But yeah, that would be all sorts of fun if that's really yeah. the case. 
That's a good question. Position where they they have play callers competing for play calling duties. Let's keep that. Let's remember that question come uh, yeah come the summer because I I I want to check back in on that. That's an interesting concept. I like it. All right, let's uh, talk about wide receivers. That's the other one. That of course, wants to talk about. We got to start with wide receivers. Odell Beckham Jr. made some headlines. Andrew Callahan, the Boston Herald, got on his Zoom call and asked him how close he was to signing with the Patriots. Did notice that Odell had to say that he probably would have signed here if Tom Brady was still the quarterback, but we're not going to open up that can of worms. I think what it does show, and although Odell probably would have came here on a discount, so it's not quite the same as shelling out the Brinks truck or making a, a trade with a number, a first round pick for a wide receiver trade or something like that. I, I do think it shows that Bill Belichick is still swinging at that position, right? And he's still trying to get one of the guys to be at the top of that depth chart. So when this question comes in, what is your confidence level that they chase a dominant wide receiver? My confidence level that they chase one is through the roof, right? 10 out of 10, hundred percent, whatever yeah. you want to put on it. My confidence level that they actually land that guy, uh, that that might be a little bit of a different question, but they've been chasing that wide receiver for a couple of off seasons. Now they might not necessarily have hit it, right. But they, or ne- not necessarily gotten the guy, uh, but they've been after it for a while. Yeah. And I think you look at the kind of players they were talking to at the senior bowl and neither of those guys are that top flight, you know, Chris Olave category or uh, 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 any the Bama guys. There's like five, six names you could pull out, John Dotson. But Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs are big, they're fast, and they're downfield players. Right. Like that's, they are shot play, throw it deep, home run players. And, so th- those are the only two meetings we know about right now, but that 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 was their first two meetings. That tells you that they want those guys. I, I don't think either of those guys would be upgrades over Nelson Aguilar, at least at least not right away. But they're in that mold. They're in that Nelson Aguilar mold. So if they're poking around that kind of player, that tells me they're looking to upgrade that role or supplement that role, and maybe have because because what they've really had is. I'm trying to think of a way to not super dumb this down, but basically they've had a downfield guy and then two short to intermediate guys. Right. And I wonder if they would switch to, because the idea is, you know, the deep guy keeps things honest and you run everything underneath. I wonder if they would want another guy like Aguilar opposite Aguilar to just force the defense all the way back and then just pick it apart underneath something like that. Or, you know, I'm kind of rambling here, but, um, no, yeah, I, I, I mean, in the 07 offense, and just for example, is always the right, right. The, the golden goose, right? That's what they're right, always right. chasing. They had Randy Moss and Dante Stallworth. Right, right? so, that's, so are they, they poking around for a Dante yeah. Stallworth type? Right. It yeah. seems like it. Christian Watson from North Dakota State. I haven't – I've been trying to get more – my hands on more North Dakota State film, but I've watched a few games of his, and that guy is a really interesting prospect because he is not as stiff or as rigid – as what you would expect a six foot five receiver to be. He's nimble. He's fluid. I wouldn't say he's got the quickest feet in the world, but he's got change of direction ability. And it doesn't look like he's struggling to run or like he's got cement in his shoes, right? He looks like he can move. They actually used him a lot on 
end arounds, jet sweeps. They handed the football off to him a couple of times last season as a running back, like out of the backfield, hand him the ball like the Niners do with Debo Samuel. So you don't do that with a player that can't shake a little bit, right? That doesn't have any elusiveness, doesn't have any explosiveness. So he's a really interesting player. His vertical breaks are certainly better than his little jitterbug breaks, right? He's not a Julian Edelman, uh, but he can break at the top of the route. I think he can create some separation down the field, and he certainly can create separation with his speed and then obviously with his size down the field to win on uh, jump balls and things like that. But I was really, really impressed with how smooth and fluid of an athlete he is. He is not your typical... Nikhil Harry, six foot five, big bodied receiver that's just going to win by playing basketball out there, right? And, right. And, and playing contested catches, that sort of game. Uh, he can he can really run and, and he's a smooth guy. So he's going to rise up boards. I, I think a lot of people slept on him, big senior bowl week. He's a top 100 pick for sure. He might even be higher. I, I think that he could he's be just top 50, top 75 guy when all things are said and done. He's really raw technically and that's again it goes back to what we talked about earlier like who's coaching him up who's working with him what does the offensive support staff look like i i wouldn't hate it if they took him i don't think he can be your only move like if they added him to i mean just the name that's on the top of the board like if they added him to like chris godwin that's an amazing signing because i there is a little bit of godwin in his game i think you know correct me if i'm wrong on that but i feel like there's a little bit of godwin in what he does so yeah. having him being able to work with somebody like Chris Godwin could be big. Um, did you watch yeah, Dubs the at all? That, the one that he gets a ton of comparisons to is actually the other Bucks receiver is Mike Evans, right? Say, I, is he that like, strong? Uh, I don't, I don't know. know if he's that strong. Uh, he is a little bit more, uh, I guess, leaner than slender, Mike Evans. Yeah. And slender, yeah. So I don't think that he's quite that strong. He's probably a little bit more fluid uh, than Mike Evans is, but not as physically imposing as Mike Evans is, but right. at North Dakota state, that was the moniker, right? He was the, the FCS Mike Evans, right? He, that's yeah. the sort of guy that he was for them. Uh, if you're going to chase that player, I, at least if they took a guy like Christian Watson on day two, I would say that that was learning from the Nikhil Harry mistake because Nikhil is stiff. He's robotic in his movements, right? He's rigid. Uh, he doesn't have loose hips. He doesn't have change of direction skill. Uh, Christian Watson's nothing like that. He, he's not as uh, physically imposing. He's not as strong as Nikhil Harry is, right. but he's a lot looser. And he's got that ability to get in and out of breaks, right? So yeah. I think that that's a much better indication that they have moved on from the Chad Jackson's Nikhil Harry types of receivers and onto a little bit more uh, explosiveness and fluidity. Have you watched dubs or at all or no? Not as much as Watson. I, I some of these guys that you got to get the tape on them, you know, and I, yeah, I don't that's wanna... right. Like I haven't seen a ton. I, I kind of just going off the scouting reports. It sounds like he's a very similar player. He's yeah. A little more technically. He's not quite as explosive, but he, he, He's a little more technically sound, so it's what you want. You know, I, 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 cause I wonder if they would lean. They're both about in the same spot on the board right now, consensus. So I'm trying to think like, well, if they're both there, who do the Patriots take? I feel like they yeah. may lean dubs, but I think it's too early to make a definitive, definitive uh, decision on that. Yeah. So somebody was in the, I want to move over to defense for a second. Okay. Uh, somebody was in the chat last week asking us about Cameron Thomas till they were blue in the face. I don't know if that person is back, <laughs> this week, but I did get to watch some Cameron Thomas today, finally. And uh, so I can't give a, a more 
in-depth answer as to what I think of the player. Uh, first and foremost, at that level, uh, in, in uh, at San Diego State, dominant, dominant tape. Like, it's really difficult to find flaws to his game at that level of competition. Obviously, you worry about the jump up, right? You don't know if right. he's going to translate fully to the NFL. But what I liked most about him and I think what the Patriots might like about him is his versatility. This is a guy that can line up pretty much anywhere on the line of scrimmage. He can reduce inside on passing downs. He rushed a little bit at San Diego State as a nose tackle on third down, right right over the center and that sort of role. I think he can play anywhere. He's got great length, uh, great explosiveness, first step ability, uh, You know, get out of his stance and, and threaten the edge. Uh, awesome, awesome just combination of size, length, power, all those types of things. But you always have concerns about the jump up in competition. And uh, those are the things for him. Uh, Logan Hall from Houston's another guy who I think has excellent tape, really good physical tools, but he'll also have a little bit of jump up. Uh, these two guys are probably like day two defensive line prospects. I just don't know with like, I could see them taking Thomas. It's just, he's going to get buried behind all the edge guys they have. That's the concern. And when you talk about, you know, we've talked about it with safeties at times. We talk about with Juwan Williams, you know, did they blow the pick? Did they blow the evaluation? Maybe that's part of it. But the other thing is when these guys don't get to play, they don't develop. And what happened with Juwan Williams is they drafted him high and then basically sat him for three years because they had so much depth ahead of them. All those guys were on multi-year deals at the time of the pick. I just worry if you take a guy like Cameron Thomas, is he going to play? Yeah. Is he going to play? What's his role? Are they going to put right. him on the field over Matthew Judon? Are they going to put him on the field over Kyle Vinoy? Are they going to put him on the field over even Christian Barmore, right? You talk yeah. about him rushing from the nose. They're not going to play him over Barmore. Right. So the question so, is, is, is he more, cause he's, he's 265, 270, right? He's right. He's a big guy. So is he more like Dietrich wise than, a stand-up outside rush linebacker like a Matthew Judon, right? Is right. that more of a role that he could play uh, in the with the Patriots? But whenever you look at this with the Pats, I always look for guys that go to a little bit smaller schools, right? Because they do tend to uh, pay more attention to those types of guys than maybe other teams would or give them more credence than other teams would. And versatility from a defensive line perspective – to line up in multiple alignments on the defensive line is always something that they like to do because they change. They're a hybrid front defense. They're base three, four, but they run a bunch of different fronts. So they want guys that can line up from all different rush spots and be able to survive, whether they're reduced inside, whether they're out over the tackle, Uh, they wanted those guys to be able to move around. And I think that a guy like Cam Thomas or a guy like Logan Hall from Houston do those types of things. And I do think we got to talk about time. I think that's a spot that we definitely need to concentrate a little bit more on. Uh, not us personally. We talk about it all the time. Uh, but just right. in terms of looking at their building for this offseason. I just think if they're going defensive line, I think it's more of a, you know, they're going more the mold of a tackle. And maybe a tackle end. But, like, I, I, I look at a guy like Perrion Winfrey, right, who is the MVP of the Senior yeah. Bowl. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they look for essentially another Christian Barmore type to play next to Barmore. And, you know, here's all this athleticism coming right up the middle. Generally, generally, correct me if I'm wrong, generally guards are less athletic than tackles. Yeah. Right. So, all right, well, 
let's put our most athletic defensive lineman right in the middle. And I look at Winfrey and I mean, he's rushing from all three spots, great athlete, especially for his size, all of that. Like I, I think if they're in there, he's about the same spot. I think he's consensus. Let's see here. Uh, yeah. He's right now is consensus 64. Yeah. I don't know where um, I think Thomas is in like the low sixties. They're about the same spot. I think they look at a guy like Perry on Winfrey and they, they like, if that's the choice, I think they go with a guy like Perry on Winfrey, a tackle end, as opposed to a guy who's maybe an end linebacker hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. They, it's an interesting question of how do you build the middle of that line? Do you go, you know, we, we love Jordan Davis, right? Love Jordan Davis. Do you go more with the Jordan Davis type where you have a true nose tackle or do you go with a guy like Winfrey or you go with a guy like Wyatt from Georgia, right? Who's, Devontae Wyatt, yep. Yeah, from a pastor's standpoint, Wyatt is much, much better than Jordan Davis is. And I think a lot of teams in today's NFL are going to look at it and say that we're going to have Wyatt higher than Jordan Davis on our board because of his pass rush ability. But do the Patriots. I still think you're sleeping on Davis as a pass rusher, but anyway, continue. Well, Davis only played 155 snaps last year, right? Because they took him off the field. You know, and Georgia had all sorts of bodies on defensive line, right? They, they go, you know, on right. and on and on on the defensive line. So they, they had that ability to rotate, uh, but he was a run stopping nose tackle, even for Georgia. Right. I mean, they took him off the field. Right. Now Christian Barmore also got took off the field a lot at Bama early down run defense. They had stouter guys, right. That they went to there. So it, it's just, sometimes that's just the difference between being a program like Alabama or Georgia that goes eight, nine, 10 deep on the defensive line because they're Alabama and Georgia. Right. And they right. got some freshman who's going to be a first round pick in two years. Uh, that might be a little bit of a difference, but yeah, it's an interesting conversation that we can get into as the months progress here towards the draft of, do you try to pair Barmore with another Barmore or do you try to pair Barmore with Will Fork? Right. And do you try right. to get a, a true nose tackler or you try to pair him with two athletic guys on the interior? I, I, I can be convinced either way. It's a really interesting conversation. Well, I, I think if so, I, I still don't think Davis gets to 21. I still don't think he does. I think somebody's going to recognize the value. All it takes is one team. Not yeah. every team has to love him that much. I think one team right. will. But I think if you're starting to have that conversation, then okay, is it Perry on Winfrey or Travis Jones? Right. I think if you want to start talking about pairing him with Will Fork, you want to talk about a Will Fork type of guy, I think that's Travis Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Or John Ridgeway, who might be a little bit later on day two or early day three type of prospect, true nose tackle as well. That yeah. played well down at the senior bowl too. Mark yeah. on the call. Yeah. It's a good conversation. It really is. And when you look at God, at teams for Jordan Davis, when we start doing the mock drafts on the podcast, Alex, we can look at who's an odd front, right? Cause that's going to be huge for Jordan right. Davis. Your most four, three teams are not going to draft Jordan Davis, right? He can obviously play four, three, one tech, right? He can play the right. one technique, the shaded uh, nose tackle position in an even front, but more than likely he's most valuable to the old, the all odd front teams, right? The teams that are going to run right. a three, four that need a true no interior nose tackle, a Vince Wilfork. Uh, so, those, those teams are going to prioritize a guy like Jordan Davis at the top of the board. For what it's worth, I mean, do you want to know which teams he's being mocked to the most? Yes. Through the mock draft so far? So based on NFLMockDraftDatabase.com, great website, check them out. Uh, they don't pay me, I'm just a fan. The three most, I would say about half of his mock drafts have him going to either the Ravens, the Chargers, or the Vikings. Right. So 
the Ravens and the Vikings have new staff. So I'm not a hundred percent because they, the Ravens moved on from Wink Martindale. Right. right? So I don't yeah. know who, what their defense is necessarily going to look like. Uh, same with the Vikings. So I don't think because Kevin O'Connell hasn't technically been hired yet. I don't think that they right. have a DC, but looking at a team like the chargers, that makes a lot of sense because Brandon Staley runs a different style of a three, four defense than the Patriots do, but they are predominantly an odd front team. So I could definitely see them going in that direction. And they are a team that struggled mightily against the run last year and needs to upgrade their defensive line. Because in order for that Brandon Staley scheme to work, as we saw with the Rams, you have to have a dominant, dominant defensive line because you're going to play a lot of those two deep shells. You're going to be a man short in the box. You can't get away with that if you don't have a great D line. So I could definitely see the Chargers who are what, 19? 17. 17. 17. And he's also the consensus 17th pick. Well, so here's what's interesting about this. And this is what goes to my theory about his stocks maybe being undersold. He's a consensus 17th best player in the draft right now, according to multiple big boards. So you talk about the Ravens and the Vikings as teams with new staffs who are building an identity. Yeah. What do you do when you're kind of resetting the roster? You just go out and you get talent. Right. And then you fit the scheme to that talent. You put players in around him. So that tells me some people recognize the value of Davis in, well, let's just get this guy because he's freaking good. Yeah. And then we'll build the defensive personnel and scheme from there. Like, I think he's that kind of player. And at least it looks like some other teams recognize that as well. Yeah, it'll be um, interesting to see. All right, let's talk corners. Do, I was going to say, do you want to do the deflate gate thing? Somebody oh, well, we, yeah, we, we can definitely get to that because I'm sure. Okay. Both of us I want to get to that, but yeah, let's do that at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk sure about uh Let's talk about corners here for a second. I want, okay. We can start with JC Jackson, then we can get into some names in the draft. I think still, if I'm making a five-point plan for the Patriots in this offseason, keeping J.C. Jackson in the building is number one. I, I I hope that it's not on the franchise tag. I actually think that uh, tagging him and, and keeping him on the tag really handicaps them because if they just pay him a, a multi-year deal, they can spread out the cap hits and make it less so uh, effective on the salary cap. But looking at their cornerback depth, Looking at, is J.C. Jackson the best cornerback in the league? No. Is he top five? Uh, I don't I don't think so. But is he top 10, top 12, right? Is he in he's the top 10? Tour? Yeah, he's definitely up there. He is one of the best cornerbacks or, or at the upper tier of cornerbacks in the NFL. When you're a man ca- coverage heavy system, like the Patriots are, and you got a guy like J.C. that not only plays man, but also turns it over, right? Has the interception numbers you don't just let that talent walk out the door. I, I just, I know that we're so accustomed to the Patriots, just not skipping a beat and letting JC Jackson walk and bringing in somebody else and getting similar production out of that player. But I really feel like the Patriots are in a spot now with the team. And I think they made this clear last off season with the way that they attacked the off season, that they got to start shelling out real market value numbers for some of these guys. And I think JC's at the very top. I mean, what more could you possibly do in terms of earning it than what JC Jackson has done in his first four years and pick the ball off against the bills. But uh, (laughs) no, he, they need to keep him. They need to keep him. He is, he's the best player on their defense. I, is that a hot take? I don't think so. Matthew Judon was at one point, but I think JC Jackson was the most consistent player they had last year. Well, so I was going to say, if he's not the best, he's the most valuable. And you kind of just laid out why. Given the way that, like, if they lose J.C. Jackson, they may have to remake their entire defensive scheme. 
Yeah. Right. Then you start talking about, you might have to start talking about going and getting those 220 pound linebackers, the Matt Milano's and playing defense that way. And your linebackers are involved in coverage. They don't want to do that. Bill doesn't want to do that. You got to right. keep JC Jackson. He's a tremendous player. He's a tremendous player that fits the scheme. He's a tremendous player that fits the scheme. That's done every single thing you've asked of him. I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it, I, I, JC's going to want to get his money and I don't blame him for it. Not one bit. I, I could see it being a thing where he gets tagged. And then it's renegotiated into an extension down the line. Like that's right. kind of what I'm preparing for. I think he's going to want to take care of himself. And unless they blow him away with the deal, which maybe they will, yeah. but unless they blow him away right away, I think he gets tagged and then they negotiate a long-term deal at some point in that negotiation window. That's not any inside information. That's just how they've done business in the past, how things have been done around the league. That's just kind of an educated guess on what I think will happen. But the possibility of losing him is real. He could get tagged, get, you know, hold out, and then they have to deal him. They can't let him walk. At the right. very, very, very least, they have to trade him. They have to yeah. tag him and trade him. And then, look, maybe if you do that, you move up in the draft. You take uh, – who's the guy from Clemson? You like Booth, right? Andrew Booth? Yeah, Andrew Booth Jr. Like, maybe yeah. maybe you do that. You trade him. You get an extra first. You trade the two first. You move up. But they got to figure out a way to keep him. I, I think keeping him is priority number one this offseason. Whenever the Patriots have had good defense here, whenever the Patriots honestly have won Super Bowls under Bill Belichick, they've had yeah. a great secondary. They've had elite cornerback talent. They've had a great secondary. J.C. Jackson gives you a pillar. He gives you one guy, right? And maybe yeah. they yeah. still need to go out and upgrade the second cornerback spot, or maybe in a dream world, they draft a guy like Andrew Booth Jr., and Andrew Booth Jr. becomes the Stephon Gilmore, and J.C. Jackson is a very, very high-end number two, right? Maybe that's right. the, the yeah. dream scenario. Or the other but, way around. Or the other way around. And he's only 26 years old. He's still entering his prime. And from J.C.'s perspective, even if you sign a three, four or four year deal with the Patriots at 26, you probably still have one more big contract. So you're probably going to get two bites at this, right? So right. I think that that's another part of this equation for JC as well. I personally am comfortable giving JC Jackson at an average annual value, which does not equate to cap hits, right? We had Miguel right. on a couple of weeks ago and he explained this. I'm comfortable with giving JC Jackson a four year, $80 million contract. It's a lot of money. But I'm comfortable doing it because they'll stagger the cap hits. They'll be strategic about it. I'm sure the third and fourth years won't be fully guaranteed. You're probably looking at a real two or three year deal. You you load it up with guarantees early on. You keep the cap hits low for now, and you, let's let this thing ride out, right? Especially with Mac yeah. Jones on his rookie contract. It, I I don't think that that's a huge overpay for J.C. Jackson. See, you mentioned Mac Jones' rookie contract. That's a really interesting one. I actually think it's it it. It's a, a win-win for JC and the Patriots to sign a three-year deal. Yeah. Because for JC, he hits the market under 30, right? He's right. 29. And I know it's just one year, but there's a big difference between 20. As somebody who's not quite 30, but almost 30, there's a big difference between 29 and 30. Um, and I think for the Patriots, it lines them up with the end of Max deal, at least the end of his concrete deal. Maybe with the rookie option, this changes, but the Patriots get big money off the books as they need to pay Mac Jones and JC Jackson gets to hit the open market, you yeah. know, potentially under the age of 30. So I, you know, and you can grease up that. Like I, I threw out four for 80. You right, could right. give him three for 60 
and have it be heavily guaranteed early in the contract. Right. And JC right. walks away with 30 million bucks on signing. Right. I mean, that's a right. pretty right. good deal for JC Jackson. So I, I think that that's a really good way of going about it. I think a lot of players in free agency uh, over the last couple of years you have seen have gone with two or three year contracts so that they can keep hitting the open market and keep maximizing their value. It makes a lot more sense from a football perspective for players too to right. not sign these big five, six year contracts, unless you're a quarterback. Obviously. Well, so this is, this is a new thing because the long-term deals used to be adva- an advantage for the player, right? right? You get your long-term financial security. Even if you get hurt, you're getting paid all of that. And I think is, you know, some of these significant injuries, torn ACLs, all of that, is they become easier to come back from. Yeah. I think that the belief is now shifting. And I think you are seeing those short-term deals valued more by players. I think the teams will take it. I think the teams are fine with it. I don't know that it's better or worse for them. Um, but I I think those short-term deals, I think like four to five year deals soon are gonna be like really long deals. I think you're going to start seeing a lot more two and three year deals in the NFL. And I think again, for the Patriots and for JC Jackson, I think a three year deal makes a ton of sense for both sides. And then you figure out the money 60, maybe even 65, right. If they need to grease the wheels, something like that. Yeah. I I love that idea. I think we should pitch this uh, and and get that contract done for (laughs) JC Jackson. Right. That that seems to be the starting point I think for him. And I think that's totally fair. Uh, He's 26 years old, and since he stepped foot in the NFL, he leaves the entire NFL in interceptions, I believe, since he got to the NFL. That type of guy, regardless of the tapes inconsistent against Stephon Diggs or not, he's going to get paid by somebody. Whether it's you or it's somebody else, he's going to get a huge, huge deal because of those numbers, and and that's just the uh, reality of the situation. Uh, Talking about other corners, I can't find the other question uh, about – uh, first round corners, uh, day two corners. I watched a little bit of corners this week and, and last. I got to be honest, the day two corners, I wasn't crazy uh, about any of the options uh, to begin with. Andrew Boot Jr. is the best fit for the Patriots in the draft. I think that's not, you know, they're not getting, they're not getting Amon Gardner. Uh, they're not getting Derek Stingley, right? So we're starting yeah. from the third best corner on the board uh, is going to be Andrew Boot Jr. I think once Andrew Boot Jr. tests, assuming that he does test at his pro day or at the combine, He's going to be a top 15, top 20 guy. He's, going he's to consensus so, 16 right now. He is an unbelievable athlete. So I assume he's going to run extremely fast and look incredible in the uh, underwear Olympics, right? When he gets out yeah. there at the combine and pro days and stuff like that, people are going to awe over that guy. So I think he's going early. In terms of the other corners, it gets kind of tough at that point. Uh, I, I don't know. There's not a great answer. I, I think the best answer that I probably have out of these day two guys is maybe like a Darion Kendrick from Georgia uh, or a Josh Job from Alabama. Now I know Alabama fans are not so high on Josh Job because he's gets a lot of penalties. He's grabbing. He's a physical guy. Uh, those are the concerns, but he would be your managed number two on the outside. Uh, move Jalen Mills to more of a third corner ro- a Rover role, which we've talked about in the past. And yeah. Job would be, game plan for right you put him up against big physical mike williams Corey davis type of receivers you wouldn't put him up against the jitterbugs right you wouldn't put him in right. that types of situations uh, maybe he's a guy that could go up against a guy like gabriel davis uh, when they play buffalo for example uh so th- those are some th- those are a few right i think a guy like job is an interesting one just because when you watch alabama 
it's like you're watching the Patriots defense, right? They play man, right? Uh, they play a very similar coverage system. Uh, as for like the Washington guys, I think are really talented, right? Like Trent McDuffie and and uh, the other guy from Washington, I'm blanking on, but they're such a zone heavy D uh, that it's hard to see much translation there. Yeah, I almost start looking further down at that point, and I agree with you. I don't love the day two corners. Yeah, their ability recognizing late round UDFA corners. I almost wonder if you bring in a couple of those guys and take a couple shots at the, you know, a couple shots at it that way. Tariq Woolen's a guy I've talked a lot about. Jalen Watson out of Washington State, uh, yeah. seven banks from Ohio State. Just these, you know, they're they're physically built like Patriots corners. They're good athletes. Just bring three or four of them in between late round picks, UDFAs, and see if you can get one of them where you need him to go. Right. I yeah. think that kind of, I, I almost feel like that's the plan. And then maybe you go out and you hedge your bets and you sign a veteran, like a one year, $8 million guy. Um, you know, I saw somebody bring up Patrick Peterson in the chat. Patrick Peterson's not replacing JC Jackson, which is what the comments said, but you hedge your bets on all these young guys with Patrick right. Peterson. And then, you know, you got three or four bites at the apple and hopefully one of them works out. And you find a second corner. So I almost feel like that's their best bet at this point. I, I think corners are tremendous need. But as long as J.C. Jackson's on the roster, um, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense for in this draft for them to spend a lot of draft capital on the position. Unless a guy like Booth falls, right? I almost feel like you just you go to the third round, you go to the UDFAs, and you see what you can find. I feel like you're going to get just as lucky there, you know, just as good of a shot there as you do at pick 50-whatever. And so then why waste 50-whatever on a corner, yeah. right? Yeah. So that that's I know that's not what people want to hear. I know it's not the same. No, I, I, I think I kind of think on. that's the plan, though. I think you're spot on because if they can get a guy like Andrew Booth Jr. in the first round, now you have a, right. a you know Gilmore, JC, Revis, Brown, or you know you have a, a real tandem, right? That that's would pro- in my mind in a year or two, maybe even right away, but certainly by Andrew Booth Jr. second year in the league might be one of the best cornerback tandems in the NFL. So that that's building your defense around those two guys, right? That that's right. really doing that sort of thing. But to waste a day two pick on like a, a Job or a Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati, who I liked initially, but then you dig in a little bit more. He's got some speed issues, long speed movement down the field, things like that. Uh, Darian Kennard, I, like I mentioned, uh, or Kendrick, excuse me, from Georgia. Uh, he's okay. I think he's a good athlete. I, I think that he's somebody that's interesting. I don't really love all of them though. I really don't have one guy on day two, like I'm, that I'm pounding the table for that. It, it, that's my guy. Like we had, um, who was the one last year? My guy was uh, Stokes, Eric Stokes. And he yeah, actually had a good year Eric. in green Bay. Yeah, like he, he remember, ended up being a first rounder, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to take Eric Stokes in the second round of like every mock. And yeah, um, I knew I was pushing it maybe a little bit. I thought he was going to be a, an early second round pick too. I did. That's kind of where I was at, but yeah, there's yeah. that. There were a couple guys last year. Stokes is just one name I remember. But I yeah. remember there were a bunch of corners in that like 30 to 60 range last year that we right. were obsessed with. I think this year that position is is linebacker, right? Yeah. We've got, you know, there's Chad Mama, there's Christian uh, uh, Harris from Alabama. Yeah. Um, Quay Walker, uh, all the Georgia guys. Quay Walker, guys right. Teams, like that's right. that position this year. Last year, like I'm, try- I'm trying to look back at the big board from last year to remember who some of these guys were because now I'm like, yeah, like you had all these guys, like you had Caleb Fairley, you had right. Eric Stokes, you had uh, Obi Melifon, whose brother, whose first name I can't pronounce, Tyson yeah. Campbell. Like there were all these guys that yeah, was like, like yeah, Tyson they're going to go like 30 right. to 60. Yeah. 
those yeah. guys just don't exist in this draft. They yeah. don't. It's not the same kind of class. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, you look at the cornerback board. I think end of the first round, you're going to get into uh, the the Elams, the McDuffies, probably right are going to go there. Um, maybe right. Kyler Gordon from Washington, who's talented. Roger McCreary. Uh, then I think there's going to be a pretty significant gap. Uh, between right. that run of early, late first round, early second round corners, and then when the next batch goes, the Jobs, the Bryants, and those guys, I think that there's going to be a could be a 40-50 pick gap before you see another run at corner. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting position this year because there maybe are that, really great guys at the top, and then there's some really good maybe mid round pick value potentially, but not a lot of great guys in the top 50, top 75. And maybe that works the Patriots' advantage. Maybe teams just say, hey, we don't love any of these corners. We'll wait till later in the draft. And all of a sudden, Josh Job is there at the end of the third round as yeah. opposed to taking him early in the second, right? Yeah. So maybe that's how it comes together. The corner, yeah. the quarterback position is going to be fascinating this year. Yeah, and as we get into the mock draft season too, uh, we'll, we'll do all the trade-down scenarios, right? We've talked about I, yeah. multiple times. It feels times. like a trade-down year. It feels like a trade-down year unless they get a booth or they get a Jordan Davis or uh, they really want to swing with a wide receiver or something like that at the top of the draft. But we'll get into that. Let's wrap it up on the Deflategate story. This is the story, first and foremost, and I'm going to get mad with you because I also think it's ridiculous. But this story does not die. Like this story just doesn't die and it's so juicy and it's so uh, headline grabby that you can write about it. What we're four or five years later now and no, six, six years and eight, eight. It was 2014, right? Technically, but that, he got suspended in 16, right? Cause it went on for so, so it's, long. So it's that, six years since the end of it, eight years yeah. since the beginning of it. Yeah. It's so long ago. Tom Brady is now retired and we can still talk about it. We can still talk about this and, and get all sorts of buzz about this conversation. For those that don't know, pro football talk, Mike Florio uh, came out with a report over the weekend, essentially saying that the NFL has data, uh, PSI data from footballs uh, around the same time at the gate that essentially say the entire freaking thing was a hoax, right? The entire right. thing they put out, uh, was it um, Troy Vincent, right, who worked in the yeah. league office at the time, put out faulty numbers to Chris Mortensen, that 11 out of 12 underinflated number was thrown out by the league office, was not true. Uh, the PSI numbers were consistent with PSI numbers across the league at temperatures in that were uh, accurate of that AFC championship game that night against Indianapolis. The entire freaking thing was a sham. We already knew this in New England. Every single time I get into my car in the winter and the tire pressure light yeah. is on, I think of Deflate Gate. It's impossible not to. Uh, but your reaction to this, Alex, because I, I I know this rightfully everybody in New England is pissed off about this. I I want an apology. Yeah. I want. I, look, I want the first round pick back. I don't know whether or not that's going to happen because yeah. let's not forget Jeff Pash, the NFL's general counsel, who had those records destroyed. Right. Jeff Pash is also the one. There's another issue with Jeff Pash being buddy buddy with Washington football team, right? And maybe helping cover some of their scandals up. So maybe recoup that first round pick from Washington football team. But that's another story. This is vindication. Yeah. This report was not new to anybody in New England. It was confirmation of what we had already known. And people like Jerry Thornton, people like really Michael Hurley, yeah, Michael who Hurley. had done this legwork and informed us and did a great job. I am so happy for those guys. But this is, this can never be a debate again. Because we, anytime anybody brought this nonsense up, 
we would come back with that, with exactly what Florio's reporting. People say, well, where's the proof? And there was no proof. We just knew. We just knew. Yeah. We tried to tell you all this for years, for years, that the NFL baselessly, baselessly investigated and then suspended Tom Brady. Yeah. And it, it was, you know, to finally see it in writing and to have Vincent's name in there and Pasha's name in there. Oh, that felt good. Yeah. All that felt good because we were right. We were right the whole freaking time. And the NFL suspended the greatest player in the history of the game for no reason, knowing full well. It's not even that they suspended him for no reason. It's one thing if they thought they had a reason and then, you know, other information comes out and, oh, we screwed up. That's not great, but it happens. Right. They had the information. They had the data that said Deflategate was a deflate gate. What it actually was, was, was a seventh grade science project gone wrong to use Michael Hurley's term, the ideal gas law, like you mentioned, yeah. the, the air and the tires in the car. They had that information and Jeff Pash threw it in the furnace. I don't know if that's that. I, Cause he's a lawyer. Let me say that's a, uh, a metaphor. I don't know what he actually did with it. <laughs> it said he had it expunged. Yeah. You get my point. They had, yeah. they had the vindicating information and it was used it was used in the court. Um, uh, Michael, uh, I'm blanking on his last name. I think it's McCann, who's a sports lawyer, tweeted this out. When the suspension appeal went to court, they used data the NFL had on air pressure and footballs. We now know that data was incomplete. So a court right. decision was made with incomplete data, which was willingly incomplete because the NFL took the completed data and expunged it. We were right all along. The NFL set Tom Brady up. They took him down without cause. And oh, yeah. does it feel good to say that with some backing? Oh, does yeah. it feel good? Yeah. And, and I would just add that you're not getting your first round pick back. Robert Kraft's not getting his well, million dollars. Can we fight for it? Why can't we fight for it? No. I don't want to fight for that. What I want to fight for is a public apology from the league to the greatest player in the history of the league and the fact that they railroaded the goat of all goats in Tom Brady publicly drove him through the mud, took him to court, did the whole thing. Could you imagine, imagine if the NHL did this to Wayne Gretzky? Well, not even or, that Peyton, they had Peyton Manning on camera talking yeah. about ordering steroids and they yeah. brushed it under the rug. Right. But Evan, I got to tell you, there's a better chance they get back the first round pick than Roger Goodell apologizes to Tom when Brady Tom for doing Brady the Patriots. In five Let's years, be honest. When Tom Brady is about to get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I want Raj to get up there and say, and by the way, Tom, as we're inducting you in, first ballot, and rightfully so, we apologize for our actions in the flake gate, and you are vindicated, and that is being struck in that suspension. And all of it is being struck in from your record officially. I'm sure that they keep some sort of suspension record, right? That they can have some sort of ceremonial moment where they take it off of Tom Brady's record that he was suspended in 2016. But as much as I wish that the Patriots could get their first round pick back, because we would love to talk about having two first round picks. That would be great for us. Right. And as much as I would love for Robert Kraft's wallet to be a little bit 
thicker. I mean, I don't know. I don't really care so much about Rob's wallet. Not going to lie. But regardless of that, it's, 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 it's the, it's great, the, the significance great. of the matter or the, yeah. the, what is it? The, what of the matter, the principle of the matter the principle it's Brady. We should all 110% be asking, be petitioning, be arguing with the league to give Brady his apology because look, I, I, I was about to say Michael Jordan, but that's kind of a bad example for this. But Michael Jordan was – the things that went on with Michael Jordan behind the scenes in the NBA was gambling-related, and that's a whole different can of worms, right? So let's go back to Wayne Gretzky. The NHL would never drag Wayne Gretzky like this. Boxing would never drag Muhammad Ali like this, right? I mean, you're talking about the greatest athlete in the history of your sport, and – the only thing that I can possibly think of that could really uh, do it justice now is if the league office uh, were to come out and, and apologize and say that, it, that they were wrong about it because there are still going to be people. And, and I know that they're dumb and I know that we should pay no mind to them, but there's still going to be people that are going to use the flake gate against Tom Brady that are going to use the flake gate against the Patriots. And we're going to hear cheaters and we're going to hear all this kind of stuff for the, till the end of time. And that is all because of the misinformation and the poor reporting and the four game suspension and all that kind of stuff that went out there. It's on their record, right? It's now on their record and there's nothing that the, the that anybody can really do to expunge it at this point. And that's the hardest part about it for me is about legacy, you know, right. first round picks a million bucks. Robert Kraft already made that million bucks back 50 times, right. In the last six years. It's about legacy. It's about reputation. And, and they labeled Tom Brady a cheater when he was nothing close to cheating other than the fact that he played his home games in New England for 20 years and it was cold out during a January playoff game. And that there is everything that you need to know. And that should be an apology uh, to Tom Brady. But I'm glad we, we, we can finally feel vindicated. I'm glad that the ideal gas law and science proved itself to be correct. I'm glad that when I get into my car and I see the tire pressure light on and I always think of the flake gate now, I can finally see, see, I knew I was right, right? We, we right. All of us up in New England understood the ideal gas law because we deal with it every single week. And there were kids in middle school doing science projects on it right? that had a better concept or a better grasp of the concept than the NFL and these, these people paid millions of dollars. Uh, all right. Well, at least we got to revisit this six years later somehow uh, and, and talk about this again. But uh, it's it's rightfully so that we put this back out in the ether and uh, and get I want it. my I, I look for all the years defending the wall. We deserve yeah. our victory lap. It's not yeah. putting it back out there in the ether. It's taking our victory lap. We were right. You were wrong. Tom Brady is not a cheater. He's just better than your favorite quarterback. It's that simple. We'll get a deflate gate 30 for 30 someday, I'm sure. Right. I mean, yeah. we got, we got the tuck. And we're only going to get vindicated even more. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. What a joke. All right. Well, on Thursday, Alex, very special Super Bowl preview show with Trags from Los Angeles. I know he's jacked up to do this. The three of us back together. It feels like a, a reunion. The three amigos returning yeah. to uh, the airwaves together. We're going to talk Bengals Rams. We're going to talk about some things that relate to the Patriots in Bengals Rams and discuss the Super Bowl and preview the Super Bowl. And then starting next week, 
I think we start getting into mock draft season, Alex. You, so you want to do a mock draft next week? I think we have to do it on Thursday because we're going to want to talk yeah. about the Super Bowl on Tuesday. Are right. we? Am I penciling this in? Are we doing a mock draft a week from Thursday? We are doing a mock draft a week from Thursday. Well, I'll, 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 hang on, though, real quick. So that means – let me test something out here real quick. The question is, are we doing it on PFF? Yeah, we got to figure that out. You can figure that out. You do, you're the mock draft guy, right? You're you're the one that that I, I trust your opinion on these things more than they myself. They have not added punters yet, so that's oh interesting. Oh, my God. Okay, I'll, I'll see if I can work on that. But mock draft, Patriots beat mock draft 1.0 next week, next Thursday. But you're going to want to listen to this Super Bowl preview show. It's going to be a lot of fun. As I mentioned, Trags is in Los Angeles, so he's got a uh, front row seat. Uh, to media week and all the media availabilities and obviously uh, the, the game on Sunday. So we'll talk to Trags. We'll talk some Super Bowl, and then it's draft season, baby. I, I'm excited. I've been working on the draft and researching. Alex has been doing the same. So we're really excited to really uh, dive deep into all these prospects and scenarios and mock drafts and all that kind of stuff. So that's the plan. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on this Tuesday evening and hanging in uh, with us uh, this late at night. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you guys Thursday for our Super Bowl preview.